Good morning, good morning. Don't usually bring my computer up here, but I'm having problems with, uh, with every other piece of technology. It's an inconvenient day. Hmm. Guess it fits. Um, I, I do have a couple of volunteers I want to bring up if they're around. Let's see, I need Levi if you'd come up and Avery if you'd come up. And I need to borrow a microphone from someone. Matt happens to have one. Wonderful. All right, these guys are going to help me out uh, with a little scripture reading. You guys can stand wherever here. Um, they're going to read us our text for this morning. Levi, you want to start us off, buddy? Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simon, who was, a righteous and, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required... Simon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the Lord of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. You guys can have a seat. Thank you. Very good. You can have your mic back just in case you want to make some comments during the service. Um, last spring break, our family took a trip to Chicago. It was the first time we had been there, and we wanted to do all the normal touristy stuff, you know, uh, the museums and the, uh, the Big Bean and all that kind of stuff. Um, and of course, while you're in Chicago, one of the things that you want to do is you want to have deep dish pizza. And I didn't want to go just to the normal place, right? You know, I didn't want to go to the place that all the tourists go to. I wanted to go to the insider place. And so I asked a few people from the area, like, where do you go? And they all recommended the same place. Uh, and they said, it's pretty busy, so you, you, know, you want to make sure you have a little, little bit of time because you're going to be waiting. Uh, and I thought, okay, no problem. We're in Chicago. When in Chicago, you eat deep dish pizza. We did a bunch of touristy stuff during the day. And then we went to this place in the evening. And I thought, this will be perfect. It's about 8 o'clock. Most normal people are done eating. We'll get there. You know, maybe there'll be a little bit uh, of a wait for a table. And we'll get our deep dish pizza. And it'll all be good. We got there. And the, the hostess said it'll be about 45 minutes. All right. Kids, you think you guys can handle this? 45 minutes? For deep dish pizza, it's going to be wonderful. 45 minutes, you guys can handle that, right? And they were all game, they were all good. And so we were there, you know, I don't know, probably 10, 15 minutes. And, and one of our kids was like, I'm, you know, Dad, starting to get a little hungry. And uh, they had spotted a subway across the street. And I, and I set them down and I'm like, well, you know, life lesson. Subways are literally on every street corner in the entire world. You can go to the, the most desolate corner of our universe and there will be a subway. Please do not settle for subway. We are waiting for Chicago deep dish pizza. This place is highly recommended. And they're like, okay, okay, I'm in, I'm in. So we waited about 45 minutes, still nothing. Went back to the hostess and, and I said, hey, uh, you know, we've been waiting here, got some kids. And, and they said, oh, it'd be about 45 minutes. Kind of a passive guy. And I was like, oh, okay, well, it's funny, it's what you said 45 minutes ago, but whatever, all right, fine. 
kids are starting to get a little bit more hungry. And I'm like, hold out, guys. It's going to be okay. It's going to be good. Now, other people had come in behind us and were seated ahead of us. And we didn't understand because we didn't understand there was a secret thing that you could do is to call ahead and get on the list. We didn't know that. The people who had recommended this place hadn't give us, given us the secret information. So we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. And that subway for the kids is starting to look better and better and better as each, you know, 15-minute block goes by. And I'm like, kids, hold out. It'll be good. It'll be good. About 90 minutes in, I went back up to the hostess and I'm sa- I said, you know, is there any chance? I mean, I'll hold the little guy on my lap. We'll squeeze into one table. We'll all, we'll eat real fast. And they said, no, these other people are ahead of you. It'll be about 45 minutes. And I'm like, okay. All right. I'm starting to give up a little bit of hope here. Now, we, we waited. We waited all in all. We waited two hours to get seated. Two hours, which I told my kids I was trying to be the, the buoyant, you know, hopeful one this whole time. I'm like, it's going to be worth it. We sat down, and, and this is a true story. We sat down, and, and uh, the, the waitress came over, and we said, what do you recommend? And she gave us her recommendation, and I said, well, how long does it take the pizza to, to be made? And she said, 45 minutes. <laughs> now, I just asked my, kid this week, my kids this week, I was like, hey, do you guys remember that trip to Chicago? And they're like, yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what was the most... Um, significant, you know, memory. And uh, my oldest said, waiting for the pizza. Like, not a good memory, significant memory. I asked my youngest, I was like, do you remember going to the pizza place? And he was like, yeah, that was horrible. (laughs) Like, it's really deeply impressed uh, upon their little hearts. I won't tell you which of the three, but one of them, this is true, one of them, as we were sitting in the booth waiting for the pizza to arrive, started crying. Just like, I don't know if there were tears of joy that this journey was finally over and the pizza was finally on its way. And I asked them, and, and, and two of the three said it was worth it. But one of them was like, no, I would not do that again. Subway, all the way. Subway, all the way. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Luke 2, 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. Now there's an interesting little uh, um, word at the beginning of this phrase that the, the, the New International Version doesn't put there. But if you read some of the old school uh, versions, King James Version puts there, it uses this word, behold, behold, there was a man named Simeon. And it's kind of an odd thing because it's the verbal equivalent of like an exclamation point at the beginning of a sentence. He's like saying, behold, there's information I'm about to tell you that's really important. You're going to want to tune in and hear this. And it's, it's odd that he would do that because up to this point in this book of Luke, this is the most normal sequence of events that's taken place. I mean, there's no angelic beings. There's no uh, stars. There's none of that. This is just normal. And it's very strange that Luke would say, listen up here behold there is a man named Simeon Luke is trying the author is trying to draw our attention to something here something that's really uh, important that we it's not quite clear on the surface what he's what he's getting at he's not trying to reach a word count I don't know if you remember in literature class in high school you'd read some of those books and you're like man they went on for 12 pages about the night sky that was just tell me it's dark it's all I need to know Luke isn't like that. Luke doesn't, there's no fluff, there's no word count. He's just, he's trying to tell you, uh, he's trying to communicate events that are important to the story. So there's something valuable to notice here. Luke 2.25, the next part of the verse, he was waiting. He was waiting, there's our word, for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. Consolation of Israel is kind of a 
nice, poetic-sounding way of talking about it. He was waiting for the Messiah to come. He was waiting. Now, Simeon, being just a good first-century Hebrew guy, he knew the prophecies. He knew what he was looking for to some degree. They all knew Isaiah 9-6 by heart, for unto us a child is born. Simeon knew what he was looking for. He just didn't know which baby it was going to be, right? And so here's this guy waiting for the consolation of Israel, and it actually said, and the Holy Spirit's on him, which is kind of cool. In, this, in these two verses, the Holy Spirit is referenced three times, which I think is really interesting because we think of the Holy Spirit doing all his work after Jesus is ascended and after the day of Pentecost. But here's the Holy Spirit uh, alive and at work, even, even well before Jesus uh, or as Jesus is showing up on the scene. Verse 26, this is cool. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. He would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. I want to I illustrate something here because what what uh, the Spirit has given Simeon is pretty cool. But I think in order to illustrate this, I'm going to need a couple of props. And I got some volunteers, Tori, Katiana, if you want to help me out with these chairs and bring them on up. It had been revealed to him that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. All right, they're going to bring up some chairs and set up kind of an illustration. We need one over here and then, uh, then one over here. Now, we don't know how old Simeon was. We don't have any idea. The Bible doesn't give any of his age perfect. Thank you very, very much. The Bible doesn't tell us how old he was. There's some outside the Bible sources that say he was 113. Those seem a little, I'm a little skeptical of those, but we, the implication is that Simeon was probably pretty old because later on he says, I'm ready to go because now I've seen Jesus. So the idea is he's probably lived his life. He's been waiting. So you get this idea that Simeon is older, but he's been living his life with this promise from the Holy Spirit that he would see the Messiah, that he would, his, his eyes would look upon this child. He's been living with this promise. So we have this promise by Simeon. So I want you to just imagine that this chair is the promise, all right? Simeon's been given a promise by God. You're going to get to see this baby. And we don't know when God gave him this promise. He could have been 13. He could have been 100. He could have been who knows, right? But at some point in his life, Simeon was given a promise that looked forward to a fulfillment, all right? So this promise, you will see the Lord's Messiah. And of course, Simeon was waiting because he believed in the promise of the coming of Christ anyway. So Simeon was looking forward to the promise of the coming of the Lord's Messiah, but he didn't know when that was going to happen. He had no idea when it was going to be fulfilled. So you imagine sometimes somebody makes you promises like, uh, like when you're a kid. Uh, I don't know. This is probably way, way outdated now, but back in my day when you were like an eight-year-old, you wanted a BB gun, which just doesn't really seem like it happens anymore. I don't know that kids care about BB guns anymore. I don't know. Eight-year-olds, maybe, maybe. Anyway, you wanted a BB gun, and so your parents would often give you a promise and what was that promise? You can have a BB gun when? Anybody? When you're older, right? Some of you are like, when I'm dead. <laughs> <You know? laughs> when you're older, right? When you're older, you can have a BB gun. And, and usually it was like something like 12. That's when you're very mature and responsible, right? When you're 12 years old. 12-year-olds know how to handle weaponry. So you're going to have a BB gun when you're 12. And so the child, and, and now today we have a daughter who really wants a cell phone. And we've told her you can have a cell phone later when you're 12. You know, you don't need a cell phone now. You don't need to be like, and even 12 seems a little ridiculous, right? I was like 30 before I got a cell phone, but whatever. <laughs> you can have a cell phone later. And so there's this promise 
Ah, BB gun, a cell phone. And then there's the fulfillment. They turn 12 and they're like, ah, this, my life is complete because now I have a BB gun. Now I have a cell phone. Life is good. Life is complete. However, in between the promise and the fulfillment, there is waiting. In between the promise and the fulfillment, there is waiting. And I want to suggest, or I want to tell you, that most of our life, most of our relationship with God, most of our discipleship, most of our following Christ is in this in-between period between a promise God has given us and the fulfillment of that promise. It could be as simple as a promise like, Jesus says, I will return. I'm coming back. You see, you see, the same way Jesus went up into the sky. I'm coming back someday. And now we have 2,000 years of waiting, of waiting, of waiting, of sitting there wondering, is the deep dish pizza ever going to show up? Is Jesus ever going to come back? Maybe the promise is something, you know, you believe that God will be faithful because God told us he'll be faithful, right? He'll provide for us. And so maybe you're thinking, maybe he'll provide for me a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse or a promotion or he'll provide for me or for my family. I mean, we need, maybe we need some financial margin. Maybe I, whatever it is, God will provide. And so we're sitting there believing this promise. Sometimes we get our expectations wrapped up in the promise. Have you ever noticed that? It's not like God specifically said he would give you that. But we kind of think like, well, God's promised. And then we're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and we're just longing for this fulfillment. But if there was a way to chart this on a bar graph, the longer the waiting goes on, the more kind of the hope dips down. You ever seen that? The longer the waiting goes on, the more the hope sort of like diminishes. In fact, Solomon said that in the book of Proverbs, didn't he? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. The longer we wait, it feels like the more we struggle with the hope, the waiting, the waiting, the waiting. Whatever it is, waiting breaks us down. To use the language of our series, waiting is inconvenient at very best. It's inconvenient, the waiting. Ah, it takes so long. Why does it take so long? God, just come through. I just want to see you answer this prayer in this way. Waiting breaks us down. Now, we know that waiting breaks us down, right? Because that's what human race has decided to use for punishment is waiting. So when you're a little child, what is it when you're waiting? It's timeouts, sitting on the bottom step, right? And we set the alarm for three minutes or whatever, and those three minutes take forever, right? What's supposed to happen in those three minutes as you're waiting for the timeout? One of the things I appreciated about corporal punishment growing up was that there was no waiting. Bam, you're done with it, and you're on to the next thing. Let's get outside and play. But now there's waiting. There's waiting. There's waiting. Those four minutes drag out an eternity. When you're a teenager, uh, parents sometimes employ the grounding rule, and you have to wait at home. You have to wait. And if, you're, if it's bad, the waiting gets longer, right? You did something. You snuck out. You're grounded for two years, right? And then you, as a parent, have to walk that back a little bit. All right, you know, mom talks to dad. Okay, two months. Mom talks a little. Okay, two weeks. You know, whatever it is. But it's waiting. Waiting is often used as punishment. When we grow up and we break the laws of our government, what does the government do in order to punish us? Waiting. you got to go to this little cell and you have to wait 10 to 20 years. That's a punishment. And you can see how waiting begins to break us down. But here's the truth borne out over and over in Scripture that waiting is a crucial part of our relationship with God. Waiting is a crucial part 
of our relationship with God. Because what happens is, is the longer we go, we begin to ask questions. Will God come through? Did I miss something? God, were you trying to tell me something and I just didn't see it? Are you punishing me? Because that's what I was taught growing up, is that waiting is punishing, punishment. Are you punishing me? Then you start to ask questions about God's character. Is God faithful? Is he really going to answer that promise that he made? Is he going to fulfill it? Is he going to come through? And sometimes people even get to the place, the longer they wait to, for, for something, they get to the place where they're questioning, is God even there? Does he even exist? Was all this some sort of just big joke? The waiting, it breaks us down. And this has been true throughout history. And this is true too, and you'll see this played out uh, through, through the historical record. But you'll see someone receive a promise by God. You know, you, hey, you, Abraham, you will be a great nation. You will be a great nation. And then he goes through his life and he gets older and older and older and older. And what does he do? Later on, it was 25 years between the promise and the fulfillment in Isaac. But what does he do halfway through? He settles for Subway. Right? His wife comes to him and says, listen, we're too old. God's not going to be able to come through. Subway's across the street. Let's just go that route. Settles for Subway. Uh, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. 25 years later, 25 years later, at 100 years old, 100. In fact, this is kind of cool, little fun little tidbit. Uh, as he, God comes and visits him at 99. Did you know that? Because, I mean, God's probably like, like, come on, hold out just one more year. God comes and visits him at 99, and he changes Abram's name to Abraham at 99 years old. Do you, you know what the name Abraham means? It means father of many nations. He still didn't have that son of promise. Imagine he had to go to parties. and Hey, what's your name? Father of many nations? How many kids do you have? Uh, well, I mean, I got the one by my, wife, my wife's concubine. You're the father of many nations. Just hold out, Abraham. Moses, hey, Moses, buddy, you have, are, you're going to go out and you're going to lead my people out of Egypt and into the promised land. Oh, that sounds good, God. Um, uh, how, how long will that take? Oof, well, 40 years. <laughs> 40 years? Do you know how old I am, God? And God's like, yeah, I, I do. I know. Sorry, it's 40 years. David, when he was just a kid, he was given a promise through God, by God through Samuel. You are going to be king, David. You're going to be king. He's given that promise. You're going to be king. And we don't even know exactly how long he had to wait, but the, the minimum would be, if you do some of the calculations, the minimum he had to wait would be a decade, but it could have been as long as 25 years. And he had opportunities to buy Subway along the way, and he held out. He says, I'm waiting because this God's not appointed me king yet. But the, the story of biblical history is waiting. It's waiting. And these guys asked questions. They asked questions. They struggled. In fact, I want, you to, I want to show you this next slide. Most of these verses are from, they're all from the Psalms. Most of them are from David and his 10 years of waiting. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, O oh Lord, how long? Psalm 74 verse 9, we are given no signs from God. No prophets are left and none of us knows how long this will be. God is looking at David, and it's just like taking your kids on a road trip. <laughs> How long, Dad? <laughs> Buddy, we, are, we just got in the car. We got a ways to go. 
We got a ways. Our relationship with God will involve waiting. We want to measure our waiting with God with, uh, with a stopwatch. God, you got 10 minutes. And God's like pulling out a calendar. It's like it could be months, years. This is part of it. And you just need to know that I'm doing something in the waiting. We'll talk about that in just a second. God, by the way, and this is just, I just want to say this. If you're waiting and you're just like, what you're saying is just a burden to hear. God has never been unfaithful. And he is not going to start with you. He's never been unfaithful. And you're not going to be the first person that he's unfaithful with. Just, just know that. And I don't know what he's got you waiting for. I don't know what's going on, but we're going to talk about how do we handle the waiting, just briefly. How do we handle the waiting? For those of us that feel like some area of our faith, some area of our life is in a holding pattern, how do we handle the waiting? I want to point you to two verses because the, uh, the authors of the New Testament understood this precisely. They understood this well. Uh, and Paul in particular writes a couple of things that I think are very helpful. Romans chapter 5 And uh, he talks about this. There's a thread through his writings that I think is very valuable. But he says, we also glory in our sufferings. We talked about that two weeks ago. We glory in our sufferings. Waiting is a form of suffering. We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. What do you need perseverance for? To wait. To endure. It produces perseverance. And perseverance produces that thing that dads have been telling their kids about their entire lives. Builds character. Perseverance builds character. But that's not the end of the story. Dads need to go one step further, and character produces hope. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Paul's telling us there's a way that in our waiting that our hope can be built, not diminished. He picks up on this thread later in Romans chapter 8, verse 24. He says, hope that is seen is no hope at all. So if you, what we want is like, well, God, I'll believe in the promises. If you fulfill the promises, then I'll look back and I'll believe. And God's saying that's not how that works. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. I just want to offer just two really quick thoughts about what Paul's getting at here and how to wait. These are, these are guys that knew how to wait faithfully. Number one is this. Hope knows what it cannot see. Hope knows what it cannot see. Um, I have a, a, a video here that I'm going to show you. Go ahead and play it. Just a short 30 minutes or so, or 30 minutes, <laughs> 30 seconds or so. This is called an anamorphic sculpture, an anamorphic sculpture. And the reason it's called that is because when you look at it from one angle, it doesn't look like anything at all. But as you look at it from the angle that it was intended to be viewed, it looks like something. So you look at it from the side here, and you don't see anything. You see like, oh, this looks like typical modern art, blah, whatever. But then you see it from the front, and you see that the, the, the sculptor has done something kind of incredible. Do you guys see what you can see from the front? What is that? It's an eye, right? I mean, I don't even know the brain power that goes into making something like that. I saw a video of how this guy made it, and I'm just like, what in the world? That just doesn't make any sense. How would you do that? That's just mind-boggling. I couldn't, I couldn't recreate that. I couldn't do that. And that's, it's kind of cool, right? It's kind of neat. It's called an anamorphic sculpture. This one is called perspective shift. You can go to, yeah, this slide right here. So if you're looking at this sculpture from the side, what you see is, um, I don't know, some basic shape. I don't quite get it. You look at it from the front, and you see this. Now, this is so cool because this is the, I think this is so much about the way our lives are. 
When we look at them from one perspective, we just see confusion and mess. Like, what is going on? All these little different scattered bits and pieces, and I don't get it. But God, the sculptor, the author, the, the, the perfect creator is doing something that we just can't quite see. And there will be a day where we can look back and we can see how all the pieces fit together to create a beautiful picture. But in the meantime, we have to trust. We have to believe that God has got something through that waiting in fulfillment of that promise. I love that idea that I know I can't quite see that picture, but I know that it's there. Hope knows what it cannot see. Hope that is seen is not even hope. The cross is a beautiful example of this. Do you think that, that people who stood at the foot of the cross and looked at Jesus dying on the cross, do you think that made sense to them? Did that look like a complete perfect picture? Not even close. But later, when they look back, could they see the beauty as God was fitting those bits and pieces together to fulfill a promise that he had made thousands of years ago? They could see it because of the way God had constructed it. The cross is a beautiful example. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. So we hope knowing that we can't quite see the picture yet. Secondly, secondly, so hope knows what it cannot see. Secondly, hope waits with its nose to the glass. Hope waits with its nose to the glass. Our family is in the taxi phase of our, our, our lives where our kids all have these different activities going on and, uh, and the school system is, is uh, helpful enough to schedule it all at once in various places, and you just have to be all over the place picking kids up and dropping them off, things like that, right? You've been there. Some of you are there. Um, my wife and I employ different tactics when we pick up our kids. I am more like show up and park and go inside and find them and get them. My wife is much more like God in this and that she expects them to be ready to go as soon as she pulls up. In fact, if there was a way that she didn't even have to put the car in park and she could kind of just roll along as the kids jumped in and then off, the better. So what she'll do is she'll pull up to the school or whatever, and uh, if they're not ready to go, she will just leave. <laughs> I'm out, right? And, and, and I say that, I actually think this is much better. Some of you parents are like, yep, that's exactly what I would do. Teach those kids, right? That's, that's right. And what she's told um, our children is she says, here's what you need to do. You need to be waiting at the front of the school with your nose to the glass looking for me. That's what you need to be doing, right, as a parent. This is such a cool concept because I'm not like God in this way at all, but I'm like, you know, Tay, are you there? Avery, are you there? But I want you to see what he says in Romans chapter 8. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? You don't hope for what you already have. Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This is a cool concept, very cool. The Greek word for wait here actually means eager expectation. It's an anticipation. So when we think of wait, we often think of like a doctor's office, dentist's office, right? That's waiting. You're thumbing through some two-year-old magazine or whatever. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about is, is like a six-year-old the night before Christmas, right? They're, ah, they can't hardly sleep. They're so excited. That's what he's talking about. There's an eager anticipation, an eager expectation. What he means here is that when you have hope, you wait with your nose to the glass looking for Jesus, 
That's how you wait. You don't wait looking at Subway. You wait watching that kitchen, waiting for that deep dish to come out. That's how you wait. That's exactly what he's saying. Those people that have hope wait with their nose to the glass. We lose hope when we stop looking for the fulfillment. So we've got the promise. God's going to come through. God's going to do something. God's going to help. God's going to provide. God's going to whatever. We hope, we hope, we uh. So we go through life and we hope and we hope and we hope. And, and, and every once in a while we get distracted from that fulfillment and we start looking at everything else. Subway starts looking pretty good. That other solution looks pretty good. Maybe i got to come up with my own answer to, to my prayers because God doesn't look like he's going to answer them. And what the scriptures tell us is that hope continues to focus on the fulfillment. It waits for the fulfillment with its nose to the glass. I want to go back to Simeon just for a second as we wrap this up. Just no verses to look at. I just want you to think a little bit about what's going on in the story because I think it's so beautiful. Why would Luke include this, this story of Simeon getting to see Jesus. And Simeon, what a guy, right? He, he, he feels the impulse of the Spirit, and he goes to the temple, and he's, he just knows something's there. Something's going to happen. I mean, maybe he's been looking for babies for, for decades. Is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the one? But the Spirit tells him, go to the temple. It's time. You're going to finally see it. And so Simeon goes to the temple, sees Mary and Joseph, grabs Jesus. That's what it says. It doesn't tell us that. He's like, hey, can I hold your baby for a second? He grabs Jesus, and then he prays this, this prophecy over him, and the first thing he says, ah, oh, your spirit may, or, or, or your servant may depart in peace. What he's saying is, I'm ready to die now. I have seen the hope of Israel. I've seen the consolation of Israel. I've seen it. Now, I think this is so cool in Simeon's part, because he's just seen the first domino go down. He hasn't even seen the fulfillment, and he's like, I'm good. Good to go. So much trust he has in God. But I want you to see something because this is such a neat, why would, why would Luke include this story? And I think this is so cool. Sometimes you get glimpses of people's character through small interactions that they have, right? You go to lunch with somebody, you don't know them very well maybe, and they're rude to the, the, the server and you're like, hmm, okay, yeah, file that away. Yeah, a little glimpse of their character. Or maybe something happens that they didn't anticipate and you see a flash of anger or frustration on their face before they can kind of catch themselves and compose themselves. And you think, oh, okay, saw a little glimpse of their character, saw who they really are, saw through the, it's a peek behind the curtain a little bit of that person, who they really are. Do kids like them? That's a peek behind the person's character. Kids have a nose for that kind of stuff. What they do when nobody's looking. But it's often these small things that we get glimpses of the character of someone. And I think, I believe, in this story of Simeon, we get a glimpse behind the curtain at the character of God. Where here is this old saint. God doesn't owe him anything. He's just been waiting and living and being obedient. He was devout. He's hoping for the consolation of Israel. And God gives him God gives him something. God gives him the fulfillment of a promise. And I think what we get to see here is a peek behind the curtain at the character of God because Simeon, Simeon isn't someone historically important. He's an extra on the cast. He's, he's really nobody. And what Simeon's story does, it points us to the character of God and who God is. And the fact that this enormous God who cares about the details of the universe is looking at Simeon and he's just willing to give him a little sustenance for his hope. He's willing to, to feed that hope and that's where we begin to see the character of God. Now, you may be feeling like, I need some hope, God. I'm struggling. I've got some stuff going on. Here's what I encourage you to do, is I encourage you to get in touch with the Spirit because the Spirit is trying to communicate that hope from God for the fulfillment of those promises that God has given to you in your life. If nothing else, the promise that we're looking for is the return of Christ. Amen. And we're waiting for that, waiting expectantly for that. 
And the Spirit will feed that hope because God cares about Simeon. God cares about you. What a God we serve. What a God we serve. I think communion is a beautiful reminder of this whole idea of living between the promise and the fulfillment, right? We, we, when we struggle, when we wonder, when, we're, when we question, we, we say, God, you, you promised to save me from my sins, and I feel like I'm struggling. And what does God tell us? He says, well, look back at the cross for your hope. Look at the cross for your, to sustain that hope. It's a beautiful reminder. And so I'm, I'm so grateful that we're taking communion at the end of our services today because that's what I want you to think about as you take your communion this morning is understand that this communion, this bread and this cup are a reminder of the hope that we have in Christ because of what he's done. We're going to ask the gentlemen to make their way to the back. I'm going to say a prayer and uh, they're going to pass the bread and say another prayer and they'll pass the cup. Um, But what we want to do here is we want to remember the hope that we have in Christ. God will always fulfill his promises. And we know that because Jesus Christ came, lived, died, and rose again. Let's pray.